0: My name is Brandon, uh, one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. Let me uh, recap real quickly uh, for you guys uh, that may be new to Sojourn, weren't here yesterday, um, why we're we're doing this, why we bought the building, why we're building that out, why we're turning this into uh, children's space. One, you can obviously tell that we're we're pretty capped on space inside of our sanctuary, but also, um, you may not know, we have 100 kids in our system, and we have two dedicated rooms in the back. So do the math, doesn't add up. And so we are... um, and have moved on buying that building property, and we would not, we would not ask you to get by, uh, behind it financially. Uh, I would not give to it myself sacrificially, financially, if we didn't believe in what we are doing. And so I want to plead with you, all of you, whether you're a member of Sojourn or not, this is your first time, I want to plead with you to be here tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Um, we're going to pray, we're going to pray together, and, and we're not just going to pray for a building or for finances, we're, we're going to pray that every man, woman, and child in our sight would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so, that's that. Let's talk Advent. Um, For Advent, we are uh, tracing our way through Samuel, which tells the story of the rise of King David, but we're going to read it through the lens of the birth story of Jesus. We're going to see how the rise of David foreshadows the birth of Jesus. And the The theme, this is he, it's a a quote uh, from when Samuel finds that David and God says, this is he. And we're going to see how the Bible is inviting us to see Jesus as the true he of the story. The subject of the story and fulfillment of all of God's promises to his people. And then in the first part of 2018, we're going to continue going through uh, Samuel. The book of Samuel uh, Records some major shifts in the life of Israel, the religious and political life of Israel, and it tells a story of three primary figures: a man named Samuel, Saul and David. And the, the type of literature that it is, it 's this epic hero story. But here 's the thing: this epic hero story begins, begins with a small town humble barren woman and the question the question is why and so here's why Samuel is written into an incredibly dark season in the life of Israel it was this season of just complete moral religious ethical political just chaos it was um, this season um, where uh, it, it, Samuel picks up where the book of Judges left off which recaps this chaos that was Israel at the time Uh, And and Judges finishes with this line, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And Samuel picking up uh, where this leaves off is written in a really fascinating way. Uh, So where most history books of the day span centuries, Samuel spans overlapping generations. And the way one commentator put it is in the structure of Samuel, Samuel is inviting us to see ourselves in the story inviting us in the detail, Manisha, to read ourselves into the story. And in that, it's inviting us to ask this question. How many of us in this room, how many of us in this room are walking into Advents, passing through the door, seeing the greenery, the tree on the right, the... I don't know what this stuff is called... <laughs> this. Thank you. Um, How many of us are looking around seeing the pretty decorations but thinking, what's going on inside of me is not pretty right now? How many of us are walking into Advent more like Israel? In a dark season, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically. It's inviting us to ask the question. And so, we're going to take that invitation, and we're going to lay a foundation for our series today asking three questions. One, who is Hannah? Two, what's so important about Samuel? And three, why Shiloh? Shiloh, this place, it's mentioned three times in chapter one. Why Why Shiloh? All right, who is Hannah? Back to verse one. There was a certain man named um, this is where, as a pastor, you have the big name, and it's like, I feel like I'm supposed to be able to pronounce it correctly, but I can't, and so I'll do the best I can, and trust you not to judge me. Rama Fame Zophim. That was pretty good, I think. Of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf. and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children. But Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, a priest of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Though the Lord, so this, though the Lord had closed her womb and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. Because the Lord closed her womb. So who is Hannah? Hannah is this barren woman that two times, repeating for emphasis for effect, two times the Lord closed her womb. And the question is this. Why why start the book of Samuel written into this season in Israel's life of moral, political, religious chaos? Why start with a barren woman Named Hannah. It could have. Why not? Why not just start? Which it could have done. um, And there was a man named Samuel. I mean, there is no reason that he couldn't have just said, "You know what? There was a man named Samuel." And then go. Why start with uh, Hannah, this barren one? Now, for most of us in this room, the majority of us in this room are pretty Western in the way that we think and the way that we read. And so, for us, that means, for the most part, we're fairly linear in how we read. Uh, and so um, it, it goes like this for a lot of us. Uh, well, uh, Hannah has to be born, and so there has to be a woman who gave birth to Hannah. I mean, not Hannah, sorry, Samuel. So there's got to be a Hannah to give birth to Samuel. Why not? Um, and that, that's true, but it doesn't help us. It doesn't help us with understanding why the author would include Hannah. But the ancient reader didn't struggle with this. See, the ancient reader didn't, didn't just read in linear fashion. Right? I'm not saying that ancient readers were illogical. I'm just saying they didn't read everything in linear fashion. They, they saw the world also in images and figures and representatives. And they would have naturally and instinctively seen Hannah as a representative figure for Israel. As Israel is, should be, and could be. And currently, Israel is barren. The physical barrenness of Hannah is a representative, representation of the spiritual barrenness of Israel. But she wasn't just a picture of Israel as Israel was, but also as Israel should be. Let's keep reading. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord. She used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. That, that's um, ancient imagery for shame right there. She was ashamed. And Elkanah, her husband said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting at the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. This is a picture of an absolutely desperate woman looking at her life, weeping bitterly over it. And I need to pause. I need to pause. Because reading ourselves into the story at this point is far too easy for some of us in the room. There are some of us in this room who hear us talk about 100 children, two rooms, moving to the building, And while we're excited for those around us, the wrestle and the weeping, bitter tears of infertility are far too real. My wife and I had uh, two miscarriages before we had our first child. Uh, and I, I was told back then, time heals all wounds. Turns out that's not true. Some of us, my wife and I included, know the weeping, bitter tears of infertility. But Hannah, as a figure, as this picture of Israel, and I want to say this, if that's you in the room right now, the Lord loves you, the Lord sees you, and the Lord is with you. Back to the sermon. That as a figure, as this picture of Israel, she is a picture of Israel here as Israel should be deeply distressed and weeping over her condition. If we could talk practically about something here. This is the point where um, a, a lot of us um, who might identify with Israel in this season that they're in. Um, uh, walking into Advent, seeing the decor, going, man, that's just... Like, this is the season that I'm in right now. Like, I'm in that dark season right now. I am Israel. At some point, most of us will likely be in that season again. And one of the reasons those seasons can last as long as they do is we skip this step in the process. We, we've all, we read to the end of, of chapter one a minute ago, so we all know where the story ends. It ends with Hannah conceiving and having a son. And most of us, uh, when we're in this season, this dark wrestling season colliding with everything around us, God in our own prayer, um, we, we want to skip right from where we are to where Hannah will be, but we want to skip the process. We don't want to go through this. So the way it works is, man, I'm, I've got, I'm addicted to porn. I'm, I'm, I'm hooked on porn. Uh, and I want to go right from where I am to just, it's gone, out of my life, no more, not part of my life anymore, but we, we skip the, I look inside and I weep bitterly over where I am. Or we have relational struggles, right? Marriage is falling apart. Um, Roommates, just friction all the time. Uh, Family, drama. We want to just jump from where we are to where it could be, shove everything under the rug, and skip the weeping bitterly over what I have done to contribute to the problem. We skip this and want to go there, but when that happens, it helps nobody. It just suppresses it until it explodes one day down the road. And the biggest problem is that when we skip this step, we never get where Hannah is going next. To prayer. Verse 10. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. By the way, um, uh, host, it means something like plentiful or numberlessness. This is a barren woman praying to the Lord of numberlessness. It's the first time it shows up in the scriptures. If you will indeed look on, your, on the affliction of your servant, then remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long. Will you go on being drunk? put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. This vow, a vow is a promise made to a deity in the context of a prayer every time. And a Nazarite vow was an extreme devotion. Which is what this is, devotion uh, to God. And it would have been understandable for her. If Hannah looked at her life, looked at her um, childless state and said, this is not fair, this is not fair. I'm looking around at everyone around me, they're not struggling, but I am, this is not fair. And if I'm a friend of Hannah and I'm sitting with Hannah at a coffee shop, I I would be inclined to say, you're right, it just doesn't seem fair. Just doesn't seem fair. But here's the difference in her in Israel, that when she looked at her life and looked around, it led her to this desperate prayer pouring her soul out before God, where Israel as a nation offered their soul up to other gods. And in that contrast, in that contrast, we see the choice that we have before us. When we look around and are prone to say this isn't fair, does it lead, will it lead, could it lead to out of trust pouring our soul out before God? Or does it lead us to offer up our souls to other gods? Does it lead us away from God or toward God? That's the offer on the table. That's what we see in the contrast. Which takes us to Hannah as Israel could be. Verse 16. Do not regard your servants as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. I wish we used the word vexation more. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to the house of Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. We need to talk about what it means to remember. When, when we use the word remember, generally speaking, what we mean is a memory. Like, remember that time? Like, remember that time we did X? Wait. Not X. Um, not that kind of church. Uh, remember that time we were playing ball and I dunked on you? All right, you can remember that one. Um, that's not fun. Why is that funny? That is an event that happened. never. Never in my life has that event happened. But, but it's a memory. But That's not what the, when the Bible talks about, a memory. That, that's to remember her. That's not what it meant. I'm going to let the commentator tell you what it meant because he just said it better than I can. Just as the Lord remembered Noah in the days of the flood, Abraham when he destroyed Sodom, Rachel when she conceived Joseph, and his covenant with Abraham in the days of Moses, so he remembered Hannah. Whenever God remembered his people, it led to his action on their behalf. That to remember Hannah is to act on her behalf, and since Hannah is a representative of Israel, he goes on and says, we will not be mistaken if we expect that this remembering Hannah will involve his remembering of his people. His acting on behalf of Hannah Prefigures, his acting on behalf of Israel. The question is how? Which takes us to our second question of what's so important about Samuel. Verse 20. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. they God acts on her behalf by giving her what she asked for, a son. And if we read the rest of the chapter, which I'm not going to read the rest of, Hannah takes Samuel back to Shiloh where she says at the end, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. In this act of true worship, she gives him back to the giver. And to answer what's so important about Samuel, we're going to have to keep reading the book of Samuel to find that out, which we will in weeks to come. But we would see in chapter 2 that he continued to grow strong and in favor, high and strong in stature and favor with the Lord and with people. And in chapter three, we're going to see them back at Shiloh where the Lord appears. And all knew him as a prophet. And a few chapters later, the people are going to come to Samuel. They're going to ask for a king, but a king like the nations, and so Samuel, we're going to say, is a forerunner, a forerunner to the king, just as John the Baptist was a forerunner to the king to come, but this king, this king to come would be nothing like the kings of the other nations, nothing, which is why we're going to ask the question, why Shiloh, why Shiloh? It's repeated three times. That's no accident. Why why is this in here? Why Shiloh? Why does that matter? Well, here's the thing. Shiloh makes its first appearance in in, uh, Joshua 18, and it's the appearance, this place where they set up the tents of meeting, which was this sacred meeting place between God and men. But by the end of Judges, by the last chapter of Judges, what Samuel is written into, this is what happened to Shiloh. Judges 21, and they commanded the people of Benjamin saying, go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out and dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards, snatch each of them, snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. What began as the sacred meeting place between God and man became the daughters of Shiloh being snatched. Taken, and it became this place that exemplified the final, final verse in Judges, verse twenty-five. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So, why Shiloh? Here's why Shiloh. The entire narrative of Samuel, the entire narrative of First and Second Samuel, is about reversing the spiritual barrenness of a people who did what was right in their own eyes. How? Through a king that was to come. A king that would be unlike any king the world has ever seen. A king who would die climbing on a Roman cross, doing what was right in his father's eyes. What's Samuel about? Reversing spiritual barrenness to the true king to come the king who would die for his people to redeem and restore them People like you and me whose lives look a lot more like Israel than we ever want to admit. By climbing on a cross and dying in our place, doing what was right in the Father's eyes. And why does this matter? Why does it matter? Why, why, why are we taking um, months to go through First and Second Samuel I'm hoping that in the end we will... Know more about how to see Jesus as the fulfillment and subject of the story. How, why, why does it matter that we do this? Let me let me give you one illustration to wrap things up. Um, most of us in this room have probably heard of the this famous story of David and Goliath. Not everybody, let me paraphrase: David kills the giant. Summary done. What's that story about? What is David and Goliath about? Right? Is it about you? Is it about how you can take on the giants in your life, like muster up and I've got this thing in my life, I've got this struggle, I've got this addiction, I've got this anxiety, I've got this whatever, and that's my giant and I can kill that giant? Is that what it's about? Or is it about the true and better David? The one who killed the only giant that could really kill us, whose victory is our victory, though we did nothing to earn it. Because if the story is about me, like if it's about me and I've got giants in my life and I'm going to tackle the giants in my life and I'm going to kill those giants in my life, let me tell you what happens. I, 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 I'm I, not saying this is what you do. I'm saying this is what I do. Um, I, I can wind up spiraling because I can never quite kill the giants on my own. I mean, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I can get frustrated and angry and, I can att- and then all of a sudden nothing works and I spiral. But, but if I can learn to see that the story is about him. If a few months from now I am more apt and able to open up the Bible in the midst of my wrestles and struggles and because I wear a mic on a lot of Sundays doesn't mean I don't have wrestles and struggles. If I can learn to open up the Bible and see more of him, there's hope. There's actual hope to read myself into the story in a way that heals me through the story. There's hope. There's hope that I might see, and we might see, more and more of how the true king to come would restore and redeem a spiritually barren people who I am more like than I often want to admit through dying on a cross, doing what was right in his father's eyes, and may seeing that, may seeing that, bring this ancient story to bear on our modern giants. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? We, we, we know that we, we're, not at, we're not able, we're not capable of simply opening up the Bible and seeing um, the, the beauty of your Son in it. And applying your son to our life, seeing ourselves in it, seeing Jesus as a, we can't do that on our own. We can't do that without your help. We can't do that without your mercy. We can't do that without your grace. And so we ask you to do it. We ask you that through this story, through First and Second Samuel, you might more equip us to be your people. To read ourselves into the story in a way that's healing and not hurtful. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.